All righty, let's get going with another episode of uh, Real Estate Minute on the I Am Salt Lake podcast feeds. My name's Chris Hollifield. I have my co-host TJ here. How are you doing, TJ? Doing well, Chris. How are you? Doing great. We're recording on your location today, That's on right. your turf. That's right. We're here at Cross Country. And this is going to be a great, uh, great episode. We actually have a, a very special guest here uh, sitting down with us, Brock Lassig uh, from Cross Country Mortgage. Yep. How you doing, bro? I'm good, man. Thank you. Stoked to be here. Are you, uh, what, what's going through your mind right now? You're like, oh crap, these guys got me on the podcast. Now there's no going back. Dude, now, what's right? going through my mind is the excitement that you gave me this guidance for recording podcasts and you're using my equipment today. So I'm excited about that. Dude, I, I know, dude, this is, <laughs> it looks really cool. <laughs> it looks, it looks cool. Well, we're going to find out your story and kind of find out a little bit about you and, yeah. and what you do here at cross country. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess we can just kind of jump right in with, you know, I want to find out how long you've even been here and how, how it started and, and how your journey started here. Here across country. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, the journey started getting into lending okay. uh, in the first place. And I got, I, I knew from like age five, I was going to get into lending. My dad was in mortgages for, he still is, has been for years, 30 something years. And, you know, from afar, I watched my dad, uh, my parents were divorced. So that's why I say from afar, but he was mega successful in, in mortgages. And I would see him driving all the cool cars and have all the cool toys. And I set my mind to that, you know, when I was young, I'm talking legit five years old. And so I started going through college and decided to drop out about three and a half years in and dive in. And a few companies later, I landed here at cross country after learning and going through some bumps and bruises. And, and now we're here and we, we love it. It's by far the best company I've ever been at. And it's exciting, man. We got a big future here. Dude, that is so, I didn't realize that, you know, your dad was in it and, and yep. all of that. So, I mean, yep. were you ever involved in any other aspects or always just like the lending part? Yeah, no. I mean, you know, with my dad going through high school and stuff, I would, I would be the receptionist during, during summer or process, you know, or bits of processing, I guess I wasn't a processor, but always kind of in the business in a sense, uh, here and there through growing up. But I, I dove in when I first got in, my dad wouldn't hire me, not because he didn't trust me or anything. He just was busy with his career. So I actually started at a company just pounding leads. Um, the company bought like, I don't know, man, 200,000 leads a week or something sick. And so I just had a job where I had to outbound dial a hundred leads every single day to crank refis. And I started there. And after six months, um, you know, I didn't really just, I didn't like what the company did. Their model seemed a little kind of rip off ish to me. Um, and integrity is a big deal for me. And so that shined through really quick when I wised up and, but they got me licensed and then I, you know, begged my dad for a job and I ended up quitting there because I was just, I didn't like it. it. It was polar opposite of my integrity, like stance. I just didn't like the the way the business was ran. So I quit and my dad still wasn't in a position to hire me yet at the bank he worked at. Um, through college, I detailed cars. I had a little mobile detailing company. So I took a little intermission for about two and a half months until I could get on with the bank, got on with the bank and started cranking refis at the bank. But it was more like internal bank customers just refinancing their deals. Um, so it was much easier and I was really bringing value. And, and then, you know, uh, that was in 2009 um, and the market, you know, we all know the market was not <laughs> that good. was a that fun time. Yeah. Right? yeah. It was brutal. So 
shortly thereafter, the bank shut down the home loan center, which was, you know, non brick and mortar. So it, they had banks in the, you know, other states like Michigan, states like that kind of, I guess, Midwest, East Coast type area. Um, so they shut down home loan centers because of all the turmoil in the industry. Ended up getting with a company that was rec- kind of like cross country mortgage. Got with a the company there. And uh, that's when I started my journey of, of building a business, building a business by referral. And um, that was in 2011. So 10 years in now and, and 100% referral based. And that's kind of what we, we run for and, and how we've developed our business now. And you seem to love it. Love it. Yeah. There's been times I haven't. But. Yeah. Well, we'll get into that here in a minute, yeah. but what is it like, what does a day to day look like for you? I mean, is it similar to what TJ's doing yeah. or what does a day to day look like for you here at uh, cross country? Yeah, I think day to day looks very similar to TJ. TJ actually is my cousin. Yeah. Um, he started his dream at, as a young kid with inspiration from me. I had inspiration from my dad. So it's fun seeing him grow. Um, but I've been able to really coach him through like how to structure his day and build his business um, and learn from a lot of the mistakes I made. He didn't have to make them. He could inherit them from me. And so he's, him and I run very similar days. It's structured and it's all about being in front of uh, business partners or a client, recording videos, always striving to deliver value and and really help people. You know, our our big thing is create wealth through real estate because it's such a, a significant piece or could be can be a, a significant piece to people's retirement plans and, and the creation of wealth and even generational wealth, which sounds, sounds cheesy, but it really isn't, you know, that's what we're passionate about is teaching people the power of real estate and, and particularly the power of leveraging real estate. Um, so every day, man, we're excited to get to work and talk to people and teach them what we know. Dude, that's one thing that I wished I would have been taught when I was younger is, you know, wealth and real estate. I mean, I wish schools taught that. Right. Yep. I mean, wouldn't that be cool? Just the basics, like the, oh, dude. I mean, credit and everything, the whole home buying process. Yeah. Just, it's just stuff you don't learn in school. Cause I yeah. look at these 20 year olds that are purchasing houses now and I'm like, man, if I would have been 20 and I would have started that, I would have been so much further ahead. Or knowing Definitely. what we know today, yeah. right? If, yeah. When I was 20, I, I bought a house when I was, um, yeah, you probably did 20 you know? or 21. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But <laughs> still, even today I'm like, I wish I would have bought a fourplex and then moved out a year later and bought another one. And I would have, I would have a bunch of properties with a ton of equity. Now, all the things I teach my clients now, I wish I would have known back then. I didn't, you know, I've learned over time, but, um, it's powerful stuff, man. What questions when you work with new, new customers, right. And they're, they're coming to you. What questions do you feel they aren't asking that they should be asking? I don't know that it's necessarily the questions that they aren't asking they should be, uh-huh. but it's the presumptions of our industry because there's a lot of like, there's just a lot of data out there about buying homes and, and financing and all this stuff. And a lot of it is flawed, right? People will do blog posts and they'll go really big, but some big things are people think, oh, I've got to have a big down payment, like 20% or whatever. And even, you know, some people know they can do less, but they've got to have a 20% down payment to avoid monthly mortgage insurance and make it affordable. Those things are not true. You know, we got people that think they need to have perfect credit. That's not true. So I think most of the people we talk to come like they, they, they're they asking the right questions. And our process often just invites those questions and, and kind of answers them naturally. But it's more importantly, the people we're not talking to yet is what's important is 
ignore the noise, ignore the things you think you know about buying and financing real estate um, and get with a professional because there's so many myths in our industry that hold people back from going down that journey of creating wealth. And they, they just don't do it because of something they've heard. And oftentimes it's false or partly true. Yeah. Well, one thing I've noticed with your business too, just observing it from the outside is you're really good at prying their goals. Like often lenders aren't asking what their real estate goals are. I don't care one to two years from now, you're talking long-term at the time of retirement, where they want to be. Yeah. I think that's where you, you set yourself apart is setting them up for not just this transaction, but transactions in the future. Yeah, for sure. We take a very consultive approach to the process. And to be that way, we've got to understand what long-term goals are. And, you know, so we talk a lot about, hey, what are your short-term goals? Say from now and the next five years, what do you want to accomplish? And if a lot of lenders don't ask that question, so they'll lead a client down a path that is not proper, right? I mean, not intentionally either. The lender's not intentionally leading them down a bad path. But um, if you don't understand what they're looking to accomplish, you can't properly guide them on what loan options to select, how much to put right. down, those types of things. Like it, there, there's so much, even what rate to select, you know, the lowest rate always is, isn't always the best plan. There's, there's just a lot of strategy to it. And then long-term, it's a matter of strategizing today. What do we do with the funds that are available today? to help you accomplish that goal that you have in five to seven years? Or what do we need to, st- what roadmap do we need to begin painting today? Uh, knowing what you're looking to accomplish in long, I mean, we actually say five to 50 years. We don't care how long it is, you know, is it that beach house in Florida? What do you want? And we can start preparing you for that right now. Um, even a first time buyer, you know, uh, a lot of that conversation will bring mega value over time. Let's say somebody's listening and they haven't picked a lender yet. Yep. They haven't chose somebody that they want to work with. Obviously, we want to send them to cross country, but let's say they, they're, they're picking, they're deciding. I mean, what, what kind of things should they look for in, in a lender? I mean, what, well, what sets you apart from yeah. all the others? And, and uh, I'm, yeah. of course, biased in this well, of course. approach. Yeah. You know? I mean, this is probably a tough question <laughs> yeah. for you. No, but I, th- I think it's important. Um, the big thing I, knowing what I know about the industry, what I would pay attention to is, is finding somebody, a lender that is experienced. I mean, our industry, much like real estate, real estate and lending are, are very, you know, uh, tight knit. There are, we are a dime a dozen. Somebody sitting in my role as a, you know, loan officer, there are literally thousands, if not tens of thousands of people that are in our industry, in our market. And the fact is a lot of those people are doing mortgages from their basement or, you know, from a home office and it's a part-time gig or they're a stay-at-home parent. So they, they get into this. I would say you've got to find like a professional because without that they haven't, I mean, I've invested, I I did a count a few years ago. It was North of 30,000 hours. So I would say I've invested probably 35 to 40,000 hours into this industry studying and just going crazy on how to strategize, right? Um, and not be the mortgage company that just takes the client's order and doesn't give any like professional advice or insight to maybe challenging what they think they want. So I think you need to find somebody who's experienced, has a high production level, has been in the industry a long time. It's a full-time gig. That's what's important. Um, one thing that I would say sets cross country apart and all the companies I've been at um, with the exception of the very first one, is this way. What sets us apart is we're a direct lender. 
So we don't just package the loan and then send it off to a, a lender to underwrite and do the process. We control it literally from the moment you call my office to the even making at least the first payment, but sometimes years worth of payments all happens under the roof of cross country mortgage. That's important um, because there's a lot more control. It's more dependable. Execution is more consistent. Pricing on you know rates and fees, it's more consistent, often more competitive. Um, but also the options are far more broad with a direct lender. Um, like cross country, we have just, I mean, you know this, Chris, we have crazy options. Yeah. I mean, it's like significant. So uh, long answer, but that's how I would answer that. Very cool. Very cool. I would just hit it on the head again with it. We're just, we take that holistic mortgage approach. I mean, we, we, you come to us with an idea and we help you build upon that idea and take it to the next level and help become reality. Yep. So. Yeah. Let's talk about, uh, I mean, the current state, like real estate lending right now. I mean, interest rates are going up a little bit. Where do you see the next few years? Like where, I mean, interest rates were really, really low there for a while. Pull out that crystal ball. Rock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I know you, you know, you don't have a crystal ball, but I mean, no, what, what yeah. do you think the future of real estate lending even looks like? I think this depends heavily on a few factors that we all know are in, in their headwinds that we're all facing, not just with mortgages, but with everything, employment, everything. What happens politically over the next couple of years and what happens with COVID over the next couple of years? That's going to have a huge impact on where rates go. What I'll say is I think from this point forward, um, for the unforeseeable future, uh, that we likely see rates start to tick upwards. Now, it's not in any dramatic fashion. It's not like rates are going to go to 5% or something overnight. I don't expect that anyway. So I think but they could, they, I mean, theoretically they could, you know, yeah. we saw, um, the election back in, uh, I think it was Trump's first election. Uh -huh. Um, literally the next day after the election rates went up, like, I think it was, it was a half to three quarters of a percent oh, wow. in rate with zero warning and no time to prepare. We couldn't lock the day before, right? You couldn't lock rates the day before. So things can happen like that, but by and large, I think we'll see a, a steady, slow and steady increase in rates. Um, there is some talk in the market. I mean, I'm not an economic, an, an economist or a forecaster, but there is talk that over the next, I don't know, 12 to 18 months, um, and there's other things weighing into this, but because of what COVID caused economically, there could be a, a double dip recession of sorts that causes another dip and maybe causes the Fed to, you know, they'll vacate buying mortgage-backed securities like they're talking about now, tapering quantitative easing. Um, they'll they'll back out of that now, but there's a chance they could come back in in the next little while. And and perhaps, you know, we've set a lower baseline than we've historically ever had on, on interest rates. So perhaps they get a little bit better again in 18 months. We see another dip. But what I've seen is there was a an event that I listened to um, Jim Wood from the University of Utah, and I think it was him that that said this, but he's an economic forecaster with all things real estate in Utah, talks a lot at the Home Builders Association, Board of Realtors, different things. He's expecting because of the economic influx we have here with the growth in business, you know, we've got the inland port out by the airport, we've got the Draper prison moving, certain things that, and we're already at an extremely low unemployment rate, like sub 3% unemployment. It's basically 100% employed. With these shifts, there it's going to force people to continue migrating to Utah. We're all seeing it and feeling it as you drive down the highway, those types of things. That's going to continue. So almost regardless of what rates do, I'm kind of pivoting here now to the, the direction of what I see 
real estate appreciation, I guess, in, in Utah anyway. Um, that's where I, my primary focus is. Um, but as you see these companies come in and open offices and bring new employees here that are selling from other places, they have no choice but to find housing here. They don't have to buy, but they have to find housing. Well, you've got rents going up at a steeper pace than home prices are going up on a month over month basis. And with just the simple supply and demand, we already don't have enough homes for the amount of buyers we have today. And we're certainly not producing enough uh, building new ones. And so with that, his expectations are we see 12% appreciation year over year for the next five. So that's significant. You know, you buy a $400,000 house today, you've got what, $200,000 or more in equity in the next five years. And all you have to do is make a house payment. So it's- Dude, that crazy. is ridiculous. Crazy. Yep. Well, Brock, another question I get all the time is, well, you said that we're going to be going into recession. What does that mean for my home value? Yeah, yeah. that's a good question. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I mean, yeah, do, do agreeing, you, yeah. Do you think that home values will be, I mean, obviously not mm, with- Yeah, I mean, here's what I think. I think a lot of us that are of home buying age now, um, we watched our family members, whether it be parents or grandparents, aunts, uncles, whatever, they suffered through the the Great Recession back when the crash happened, you know, 2008, 2009, right when I got in the business. We all witnessed that. So we just think that a recession equals decreased house prices. And the fact is there's almost no proof of that on any consistent basis. There's only been right. a couple recessions that have resulted in decreased house prices. And if you look at the most recent recession, um, which was COVID, which was, I mean, it's interesting because some people just went crazy and earned more and saved more and mm-hmm. built equity, but um, it was a recession, nonetheless, a pretty big one, but it caused house prices to do the exact opposite of what 2008 was, right? Yeah. yeah. So recessions don't mean house, it yeah. really doesn't mean anything with houses. It could affect house pricing. Right. right. But there's people that are still saying there's going to be a crash. There's going to be a crash. There's going to be, a, but everybody's saying there's not. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I mean, I I tell people is Warren Buffett is the most successful stock investor on the planet um, in our modern day history. And not even he tries to time the market and he knows that better than anybody else. So why would you as a home buyer who likely has a very limited scope on the intricacies of, of what's moving the economy, what's moving house prices? Why would you try to time the market? If Warren Buffett, the biggest expert in stocks is not trying to time his market. I think it's a foolish move and real estate, in my opinion, like we saw a lot of people lose money back in the crash 2000, you know, like early 2000s. They lost money by and large because they were gambling on real estate, right? They're buying real estate thinking this, this is never going to end. We're going to see massive appreciation. So I'm going to buy a home I can't afford today and let it appreciate over a year time. They get a loan that was like a one-year arm. And so a super affordable payment. And they were banking on the fact that in that year, they would make hundreds of thousands or, you know, whatever the number was, they'd make a significant amount of equity sell it, cash out, and then turn around and go buy something they could afford or maybe even beyond what they could afford. But all of that equity they would use to, to acquire that home. They were basically playing roulette with, with real estate. That's also a bad plan, right? Timing the market is a bad plan. Gambling with the market is a bad plan. I think if you get in long-term, you, there's, I, I don't think you, anyone could prove that there's a way you could lose in real, real estate as long as you are in it for the long run. Even those people that bought at the very tip top peak, the highest house prices, you know, until now, right? Because now we're above those prehistorical levels back in 2008, seven. Those people that bought at the peak today and over the past several years, five, seven years, I've dealt with these clients. They bared the storm, allowed markets to recover, and they literally ended up cashing out hundreds of thousands of dollars from that 
investment, even though they bought at the peak because they're amortizing their debt this whole time, they're paying things down. I mean, it's all, they're creating that wealth and that's what homeownership does. So you might have a risk of losing time. You might, you know, not be able to sell right when you want to sell, but it doesn't matter. As long as you're invested long-term, you will almost always, I mean, I can't think of a time you wouldn't make money on real estate and it's more flexible too, right? I mean, if you have to move because of a job change, you just rent the thing out. Go buy a new right. one. Rent it, Airbnb right. it, uh, sell it. Exactly. <laughs> yep. exactly. Let's talk about, you got another business you're doing. Yeah. Let's talk about that. I mean, besides working here across country, yep. what are you doing? So I don't think I'm alone in this. I know I'm not alone because I discovered that through this journey. But um, years ago, I don't know, three, four, three to four years ago, I hit what I call my midlife crisis. Now I'm 33, so it's maybe not midlife, quarter life, whatever it is, right? But I hit this crisis where I seemingly, like people from the outside looking in, I had everything. I had all the cool toys. That was my big inspiration. You know, see my dad have cool toys. That I was driven for that. So I had the toys, I had the house, I had the wife, I had the kids, I had the fitness, I had the health. I had literally everything. But I would still often go home or sit on the weekends and not feel fulfilled. Right. I would, I would still, I mean, I would, I would drop into depression and, and I would have a lot of anxiety and I'd go through all these things. And it was, it was really just like, it was not a fun life I was living. And I just lived the life stagnantly thinking that's just what life was. And then finally I'm like, you know what, to hell with this. I I can't, I cannot do this anymore. You know, I, I mean, I wanted to quit mortgages, which is crazy. It's my biggest, yeah, it's such a passion of mine. I wanted to quit. I'm like, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the stress. And I, I had to dig deep and I dug deep and I'll spare all the details. I'm happy to talk about it with anybody that wants to, but I basically went through this personal introspective like journey for a few years and just realized some things about me emotionally and, and uh, walls I'd built up. I didn't even know existed that really set me free. It allowed me to create a a renewed passion in the mortgage industry, which is now bigger and better than it ever has been. And, and it pushed me into just, I love everything about it. Like, you know, I, I can, I can go through the storms and, and things don't affect me. It's not that I'm emotionless. I'm probably more emotional nowadays, but I just don't let it drive me down. That was the founding moment of fly life, um, which is the company. It's FLI. So it stands for fulfillment, liberation, intention. And really I, I created that because it, it, it was, well, I'll go into how it, what it was supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and then COVID kind of stood in our way, like a lot of people, but <laughs> Got I no created, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it was brutal, but I created that because as I started, as I kind of got through my journey and I'm still going through it, right. It, I don't think it ever ends. But as I was, I was in the thick of it, I started to become more, more vulnerable to people and tell them my story and express my emotions, which I previously wouldn't have done. But every time I did, all those people would assimilate to what I'm saying. They're like, oh my gosh, I felt that same thing or ah, whatever, right? They all like really understood what I was saying at a, at a very deep level. Um, and I think that's just human connection, but we've built these walls in society that don't allow us to actually go through that personal journey ourselves because of whatever ego, pride, judgment, whatever it is, you know? So that's where we founded Fly Life. Uh, me and my partner, Chris, um, who's also in the real estate business, but he was going through a similar experience and mutual connection got us together and we had a similar passion. So we, we ran with it. So what is it? So that's a good question. 
it started. So it's the best way I can say it is it's a lifestyle company, right? It's, it's preaching a lifestyle and, and trying to overcome societal norms that most of us don't even recognize that we are succumbing to on a daily basis. Like we're literally behaving subconsciously in ways that we were programmed early on in our life and just moving through life like robots. And we're not doing things on our own. So it's a, it's a lifestyle company. It started, we were going to do live retreats. So we were going to have retreats with speakers and different events and um, trying to get people to break down these walls. And then COVID stood in the way. So we've since pivoted away from the live retreats. So they will come, um, but COVID forced us to pivot. So now we're creating, and, and honestly, it was, it was a blessing in disguise because now we're creating an online platform that will take people through the beginnings of this journey and at least open them up a little bit, right? And our, our plan is, and I'll dive into more of what this is, um, but our plan is they go through this, this course. Um, they're, you know, it's still in, in development now, but I would say there's probably 14 modules that will be in this course. The intent would be that people take a weekend on their own. Digital detox is a big part of it. Get away from the phones, away from the email, away from social away from everyone at family, everybody, mm-hmm. right? Go on an independent retreat by yourself and go through these exercises to really open up your mind and open up your heart and start breaking down those walls or at least being aware that the walls exist. That's what the, the online course is for. And then once people go through that online course, those will be the people invited to the live retreats. So that's why I say it was a blessing in disguise. We think that will bring a lot more value to the live retreats and have people all on the same page that have, that have gone through the difficult part, which is this, this journey. And, you know, there's a lot of people say, Oh, so you're, you're doing like, you know, life coaching and things and not really life coaching. I don't want to, I, I shouldn't say I don't want to, but I don't consider myself a life coach per se. You'd make a good one. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. Maybe I will in the future. Right. Yeah. But this is more of like a, an independent, in like a, a self-guided process of uncovering these things as opposed to a bunch of hype and watching YouTube videos or, or going to an event and getting super pumped. And then you come home and you're pumped for maybe a couple of weeks. It's just like it New off. Year's resolutions, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then it wears off and you don't, you don't actually do anything with it. What we're, what we're trying to do is come up with a strategy that people can dig deep and really find the deep inspiration. And so by the end of this module, people will have what we're calling their manifesto. And this will be a little, you know, memento that they have. Like, and, and there will be some things that we sell, I guess, uh, products. For, for example, you, dwind, you go through this big emotional journey. You dwindle this all down into a, you know, short paragraph or a couple sentence manifesto, which is, uh, and it's such a meaningful manifesto, right? Because you went through a multi-day I don't know, 50 hour journey with yourself to create like, what is important? Um, what is fulfilling? What do I need to liberate myself from? And what do I need to set intention to accomplish or do to reach that fulfillment? So it, we want to boil this down and distill it to a manifesto. So if you're going through those challenges and those, those depressed times or whatever it is, right? We're humans. We all experience it. You kind of have that anchor point to say, man, this is what I'm chasing. And so if you ever get lost, you, you have that anchor point. And then the live retreats would be kind of a regeneration of that and hopefully an evolution of your, of your manifesto. And it'll change over time as people grow. But that's, that's what we're doing. That's cool, man. Yeah. 
Do you have a website? Is a website we up? We do. Yeah. So the website is, um, it's interesting because we couldn't get the exact .com that we wanted. Um, so the website is www.fly, which is F-L-I, fly.life. So www.fly.life or the flylife.com, but we wanted to eliminate the. So we have a website. It talks a lot about our, our mission, our vision, um, introduces me and Chris as people and why we're passionate about this. And that's where we're, you know, I encourage people to go there, sign up. If this is interesting to you, which I hope it is, go sign up. We'll have newsletters. We're going to be launching as we get the actual, it's fly life by design. That's on the website, it says in production. But as we launch that, um, we're going to be notifying all these people that are following us. We have a decent following on social. The handle on Instagram uh, and Facebook is at the fly life. Um, F-L-I so, or F-L-I. Okay. Yep. So it stands for fulfillment, liberation, yeah. intention. That's how you want to make sure people type fly. that in yeah. accurately. Yes. So go follow them, go, go connect with them and can they message you? I mean, I guess that yeah. would connect with you that way too. They can send Certainly. you messages and connect with you right on Instagram too. Yes. And way. please do. I mean, we are working, like I said, this is in development. Uh, and as a part of development, we're going to have uh, and, and seek out a beta group to go through this, uh, this course that we're creating and we would give it to these beta testers for free. It won't be free once it's done and out of beta. Right. Um, so that would be some encouragement to connect with us. If, if you feel like you align with this, this purpose that we're pursuing, um, please reach out to us. We would love it. And if you follow us on social, that's probably going to be the most prominent place for updates on the development of, of the, uh, fly life by design and the manifesto. So dude, that's so cool. Yeah. It's exciting. So tell me something else about Brock. I mean, besides this fly life thing you're doing, besides dealing with mortgages, Mm -hmm. what are some of your other hobbies and interests? What else do you enjoy doing? Yeah. Spending your time doing? That's a good question. So mortgages fills a big part of my cup because it forces me to stay in tune with markets and money. And that's a huge hobby and, and passion of mine. I, I like to understand it. I like to invest, uh, whether it be real estate or something else. So that's big. Fly life is a really a hobby. That's fly life is what will take me to my deathbed. Right. I mean, I, this is my passion project forever and we have a huge vision with it, um, which I should share at some point if we've got time, but, yeah. um, we've besides that, you know, I'm a huge family man. I, I like hanging out with friends and, and doing that thing, but my family is, is really where my heart is all the time. So any free moment I've got, I'm hanging out with the kids. Um, we like to go camping. That's our thing. Yeah. Um, we like to travel wherever, you know, we did a big trip uh, in 2019, just right before COVID to Europe. Um, with Lucky. A, yeah, it was awesome, <laughs> dude. And a three month old and a, and a, th- a two year old at the time. So Wait, you took a three month old to Europe. <laughs> yeah, it was nuts, man. Me and the wife. And it we was had, she screaming the whole, or he, he she was screaming the whole time no, on the airplane or champ, what? Man, it was, it was awesome. Oh um, man. Yeah. Yeah. I got the wife, like the Delta one ticket. I didn't cause I'm too cheap, you know? So me and me and my older boy sat in the, in the regular coach seats, but she was in the lay down bed and yeah. you know, he's still breastfeeding and stuff. So it was, it was a journey. But we love to travel. Um, we go boating. Uh, you know, I like to wake surf and do that. And that's, uh, I mean, I like guns. Um, I like to go shooting. It's really it. You just like the outdoors? I yeah. mean, Utah's perfect for you, it man. Is. Do you ski or snowboard? Yeah, yeah. I snowboard. I've, you know, TJ gives me a lot of crap about this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I used to do it a lot more as I started having kids and getting deep in my career. I, I often don't make the time for it. But 
I do a couple of times a year still. And, um, TJ actually got me into mountain biking. So that's fun. Anything outdoors. I'm a fan of, you know, we hike all the time and, uh, camp and that, that's, that's really what we like to do. You mentioned you don't make time for snowboarding as much. I mean, do you find that harder as you get older to, to make time for yourself? A little self-care, a little bit of doing what you want to do. Yeah. You know, part of that journey in the creation of fly life, that's, that's a big part of fly life is, is yourself and self-care and, and doing those things for yourself. Because if you're not enjoying things and doing things for yourself, you're not going to be, you know, I wouldn't be present for my clients and my partners if I wasn't feeling good and, and catering to myself, right? I wouldn't be present and be the best husband I could be or be the best dad I could be if I wasn't. So I certainly spend time uh, for myself and that's a, that's a huge importance for me. Um, I don't overwork, but you know, in Utah, it's funny. I, I find there, you have to pick your poison. There's right. way too many hobbies and fun things. And you know, we're, we're camping and boating all summer long. So winter time is when we often plan our vacations, um, where we jet set and go somewhere to the beach or whatever. And so I think with that, and that's where the time runs short, you know, so I just a handful of times a year, maybe two or three. Right. Well, out. and you mentioned that you're always working on it too. It's like, it's an ongoing process. Oh yeah. Um, and you've got one of the best mindsets I know. I mean, you're super driven. You. you help me all the time. What is that? How often are you working on it? Obviously every day, but do you take, are you doing a retreat yourself once a year? Like, what does that look like for you? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and a lot of that stuff, all the things that I've done that have brought value, like, you know, retreats for myself or whatever it is, a lot of that is implemented and integrated in this, uh, fly life by design course to kind of give people tips and tricks on, on how to, how to accomplish that. But yeah, one fun one is my wife and I do an alignment retreat. And I posted about this on my social media, I don't know, a couple of years ago. Um, but the alignment retreat, her and I do what I just explained um, for this uh, Fly Life by Design course is we take a weekend. There's no kids. There's no, I mean, uh, to the unless we're typing on the computer as part of our work, um, not, not working our jobs, but as part of the work we're doing for the retreat, it's fully disconnected. We have a date night every single night. So it's three date nights in a row. And um, we're getting into deep conversations. So I spend that that's every year um, that we do right, you know, during the Christmas and New Year break. Um, we spend three days, um, generally go up to Sundance and that's a fun place. It keeps us inspired. Outside of that, you know, I'm just, I constantly, one, one cool trick that I do is I fill up my white time. So whether I'm driving or whether, you know, I mean like at the gym and I'm, or, you know, right in between appointments, if I've got a few minutes, I'm always trying to find something inspirational. You know, I listen to a lot of people, Ed Milet or Tony Robbins or, you know, Mind Valley has some cool resources. I'm always trying to, any free moment I've got, I'm filling my, my brain with all the, all the good stuff to keep the mindset in check and cool. Yeah. yeah. Do you have like a morning routine that gets you in the right mindset as soon as you get out of bed? Yeah. Let's yeah. hear it, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's nothing crazy or elaborate, but you know, I just, I get up generally about six o'clock. Uh, there's been times in my life that it's been earlier, but I can't sustain it. You know, I've, I've there's been months or, or years that I've been up at four forty-five, and it's just, yeah, I, I don't enjoy that. So that's one of those things that I'm like, nah, I don't need it. So I modify my schedule to fit what I want, but I often get up at six and I, do a little bit of like yoga or stretching. I work out and I'm listening to some sort of podcast or, or, or an audio book or something and do that for, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour. And then I meditate for 
15 minutes and meditation. You know, I've been doing that for several years. That's been a big, big thing. Like when I can just settle my mind and, and I'm pretty decent at meditation now, not by no means an expert, but it takes a lot of work. Like meditation in the beginning is it's like, what am I doing? You know, you're just like, feel like you're wasting time, but it's been a super powerful thing. So I'm, and even throughout the days, like if I'm getting stressed or something dramatic happens in the business, I, I lose a deal or something happens. I'll often just meditate like for 10 minutes in the middle of the day too. So meditation is a big thing, but that's, that's really my, my morning routine. It's wake up, get physical, listen to something inspirational and then meditate to get my mind in the right place and be ready to tackle the day. And you know, that doesn't, you say that doesn't sound like a lot, but it is to some people. Yeah. Right. I mean, I know a lot of people, they just roll out of bed and they're just like frazzled from the second they get up to yeah. the second they yeah. go to bed and they don't even take a second for themselves or mm-hmm. to you know better themselves, better their body, yep. their mind, whatever. Yeah. And I mean, the way I look at it, it's like all of that frazzle comes from not doing this. Right. Yeah. So it's like, it's counterintuitive to do that. Um, and, and, I stay inspired to do that. Even if there's days I don't want to get out of bed, there's days I don't get out of bed. Right. You know, I mean, not the whole day, but I don't do my morning routine. I do miss it occasionally. But what I find is momentum is really difficult to build, but maintenance is really easy to do. Right. So I can stay in shape. I'm 33. My whole life I've been in shape and, and, you know, not gaining body fat and all these things. And I've, I've been fairly young in my industry among most people that are older than me. I'm now kind of just middle of the road, but early on in my career, people would be like, Oh yeah, wait until you hit 30 or wait until you hit this age or whatever. I'm always like, okay, yeah, whatever in one ear out the other. And I think what I've found is I just stay really motivated to say, Hey, I'm here. And if I don't at least do something, it's much harder to build the momentum back up as opposed to maintain. So now I can, you know, I can do a hundred pushups and, and some jump squats or something. If I want to bust a real quick workout out in the morning and not go to the gym and spend a lot of time lifting weights or whatever. And I stay physically fit. I'm as fit as I was when I was 18. You know, it's like, right. so awesome. maintenance is kind of the inspiration for me. That's awesome. Let's uh, there's a few standard Salt Lake city questions. I ask everybody that comes on okay. the podcast here, Brock. So of course we're going to ask you. Yep. Uh, the first question, you know, family and friends visit us, they come into town and they're like, give us a tour, show us around, take us to a few of your favorite places. Uh, and when I say Salt Lake city, I mean the Valley, right. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, mm-hmm. park city to the great Salt Lake yep. to Ogden. I mean, yep. do you have a few favorite places that you like to take people show off? I mean, where, where, what do you, what do you do when people, I mean, visit? we always take people to the lake. Okay. If, if we got friends coming in, we cruise up the Canyon, I don't yeah. know, whatever Jordan L Deer, Deer Creek, um, starvation, depending on the length of the trip. So we like to take people there mostly because it's like we, sure. it's what we like to do. Yeah. You know, we like a couple of restaurants. There's really good restaurants, mint tapas and sushi. They okay. just opened their second location up in Cottonwood Heights. Um, that's super good. We take people there. Um, tsunamis good for sushi cliff dining. So we like to take them to more local yeah. restaurants yeah. that we frequent, you know, on like a weekly basis. Outside, that's really it, man. I mean, then we just hang out, but yeah. yeah. What would you change uh, about Salt Lake, about the Valley, the area, the County? What, whoops. What would you change about, about the area if you could? Jeez, that's a good question. However you want to interpret it too. I mean, big or small. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of good changes already happening. Yeah. You know, from a cultural standpoint, we're getting more diverse. That's fun. That's exciting to see. 
if I could, if I had the power to change anything, um, which I'm actually talking to somebody with maybe there's a, a really massive grand idea here, but if we could get rid of the smog, yeah, um, air quality. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I guess thinking big, that's, that's the first thing that comes to mind that I'm like, if I had the power to change anything, what would I do? It would be figure that out, get rid of the, that's what most people quality. say Is it that yeah. come on here is either yeah. the air quality or, or, uh, yeah, I would say that's the biggest. And outside of that is traffic, you know, I don't but what do you do there? I mean, the growth, I mean, double it's kind of 15, I guess. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, what do you, what do you, what are your thoughts on all the growth in the area? All the people moving here. I mean, obviously well, it's good for business, good, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I, Utah will always be home. I do have some motivation over time. Once I hit my financial goals to maybe have primary residents, not here somewhere. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't always appreciate what Utah was because it's so awesome. And now the secret's out. And, uh, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm a little disappointed. I didn't take more advantage when I was younger. Um, that's just the way things go. So it, it, it's somewhat disappointing to see how busy things are now. But like I said, there's a benefit to that too. We got a much more diverse community yeah. and, and it's fun. Um, but did you say, did you grow up here in Utah? Yeah, born and raised. I, right? I, I didn't, didn't know if we asked that one yet. So you lived here your whole life. Yep. Did you ever move away? No, never. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. So, you got to experience yeah. outside of Utah for a little bit and then you'll come back and you'll be like, oh my gosh, I never want to leave. Yeah. Like <laughs> place when I great. travel to that state that is on the edge of our country on the West, um, the big long one, California, man. <laughs> yeah. When I travel there, I come home every time. And I'm like, I'm it, like, our, everything's so clean. Yeah. Our streets are clean. Everything is, I mean, besides the air, right? Right. <laughs> California is a much better. Everything is so clean. So I, I do see that with our travels. I appreciate what Utah brings for sure. Very cool. Well, I'm so glad that we got to sit down and record with you here and, and find out yeah. a little bit of your story and, and talk a little bit about mortgages and, and uh, all of the interest rates and all of that. Was there anything that you wanted to chime in there, TJ, before we wrap this up? I mean, I, I no, know, I mean, I think the fly life is legit. I mean, I've, I've had the pleasure of being Brock's guinea pig through a lot of yeah. the modules and courses and whatnot. And it's, it's helped f- me find direction when I'm confused or need, I mean, need direction, um, I, we're constantly having conversations. So I'd go ahead and check it out online and follow the social media. You want to say, state that social media again, Brock? Yeah. So website, www.fli.life and social media is at the fly, F-L-I, fly life. So at the fly life, that's Instagram and Facebook. Any uh, final financing tips or mortgage tips or anything you want to add in there of uh, people that might be buying a home right now or either one of you, either one of you. Yeah. I just think that if you're remotely thinking about it, come talk to us. I yeah. Mean, it, free consultation. We'll set you on the right path to home ownership. Or if you do own a home already, um, we'll set you on the right path for your, for your real estate goals. So you can contact us by calling us. Um, my number is 801-694-1733, or you can shoot me an email at tj at myccmortgage.com. And then the best place is, I mean, what's the best place to get a hold of you? Do you want to give an email address sure. or a contact or phone number? Or yeah, any? phone number 801-713-4000. You can reach me and my team there. And to TJ's point, you know, I think one, one last closing comment on the real estate and mortgage side of things there's a lot of people out there with a ton of equity. I mean, there's so much real estate equity mm-hmm. today. Um, those people are often looking at the market saying, well, I could sell my house, sure, and make a few hundred grand or a couple hundred grand in equity. But then I would just have to turn around, dump that into a new house and 
I would, my house is worth that, right? So I would basically, it would be a lateral move. That's what a lot of people are thinking. They would just turn their equity into another house and essentially buy the same house and just dump their equity into that new one. What I would say is there, you know, talking to the point of the holistic mortgage planning that TJ mentioned earlier, there are so many really good strategies. Um, if you understand just little bits of, of how money works and what you can do with your equity in real estate, where you could just, you know, we've had clients, they sell their home, they move up, maybe even double the size of the home, right? You go from a 500 to a million dollar home. People are thinking, man, I can't afford that. Well, the trick is what you do with that equity. So we have people that pay off all their debt and then they put some down payment on the house. But then beyond that, they may invest some of that equity into some other type of investment, whether they buy an an investment property Mm -hmm. or whether they throw it into stocks. And the power of that money and, and investment, or excuse me, real estate should be used as an investment tool for your overall financial plan, not just, oh, well, my, you know, I'm going to have the same house and the same payment. That's, it is not true. There's, there's some creative strategies to get there. And one cool thing I like to talk to people about is, and I just helped a client with this, this week. So I'll kind of tell that story. Him and his girl are selling their houses and moving in together. They're getting a significant amount of money and they were going to dump it all into the house and the payment would have been beyond what they could afford. But I said, well, hold up, let's look at this. Let's invest some of that money to paying off the other debts. They didn't have much, but a car, maybe a couple student loans saved them like 600 bucks a month. And granted it was less money down, but the mortgage was not much more expensive. So when we paid that off, they bought this house. It's a $750,000 house. They're going from a $190,000 condo and a $250,000 townhouse into a 750 house. They're literally walking in with the same monthly outgo because they paid their debt down. They're investing about $150,000 of their equity into the stock market. By investing into the stock market, assume an average return of 9% from the S&P index. You invest that over 30 years, it's about 11 times the initial investment. So they're literally looking at the same money out of pocket and they will be multimillionaires by the time they retire in 30 years. They could be multimillionaires with with multimillions in cash plus a free and clear house 30 years down the road. Um, so there's just powerful stuff, I say, to TJ's point. Talk to us. Don't make decisions based on assumptions. Wow. That was some powerful advice, man. Hopefully yeah. people rewind that and listen to that That's again, cool sure. right? You know? Yeah, rewind that. I just dated myself. <laughs> you know? I don't even think you can rewind a podcast. <laughs> Anyway, it's been fun, man. It's been fun. Yeah. We'll have to uh, we'll have to bring you back through again and, and catch up with you and see what's going on in the mortgage world for sure. But, and I would love to talk more fly life down the road. We're we're very close to launching, so yeah, we'll have to talk more about it, share more about what the long term. Any final looks things like. you want to add on that before we wrap this up? I mean, I didn't. You know, there's you know. Uh, it. There's a there's a long final point. Um, I don't know how much time we have, but the long final point is the long term vision of fly life. Yeah. The way we created this, the, what we're doing now is, is simply just stepping stones to where we really truly want to get what the depth of, and, and the real heartfelt mission is. Um, so most of us are programmed emotionally and we're programmed emotionally by the people that raised us and the people that guided us through life, whether it be, they be teachers or they be, you know, uh, part of the church or your family or whatever it is, right. We're programmed by those people. And, and oftentimes a lot of that is really quality. But oftentimes a lot of it is not quality, right? That's where the, the walls begin to build. It's the brick and mortar to develop those, those walls and thought patterns that often limit us in our life. And so the big vision is to get influence young people through fly life and the, and the mission we're on to hopefully shift that paradigm. And not to say that parents have nothing good to teach because 
clearly we do, right? We're all thriving adults. There's a lot of good things that come from parents, but how can we flip the switch a little bit and get kids more mindful at kindergarten age, right? Get kids uh, more financially savvy at maybe elementary age. And so the two components are creating mindfulness in children and creating more financial savviness in children. And it doesn't mean you need to be rich. It's not about money. It's about simple things, a budget, you know, real estate, these things. And and mindfulness is about, you know, often we are told by our parents or leaders in our lives, whatever, even society in general, you've got to look a certain way. You've got to do a certain job to be considered successful from society's view and do these things. Well, the reality is the people that are most successful, they ignored all that. And they said, what really fills my cup? What makes me happy? And then they pursued that. Those are all the people we look up to, but we don't encourage, we don't have a platform that teaches our kids to do that at a young age. And all these really hyper successful people also didn't do it at a young age, right? They had to break the mold. So what if we, what if the mold was showing these young kids how to think independently, how to pursue their dreams for them, not pursue their dreams to make dad proud or mom proud. I mean, I fell victim to that, Um, not to make society proud or look cool. What if it was, what made you really feel good? How much more powerful would people be? What geniuses are hidden? What, you know, Elon Musk's are out there in the world that just didn't have the direction or, or the, you know, the spark to break that mold. We want to start that early. And our belief is that through, you know, compounding effects, if they start early and and understand this power of, of the mind and mindset and, and attitude, if they start early kindergarten level meditation for them is nothing right there are right now. It's hard to meditate. I've done it for years. Meditation for them is nothing. What, what type of humans are these? I don't think we can imagine how powerful they are if we could start there. So imagine what the world would be like. I mean, honestly, I say that in my video on the, on the website it's, and I got emotional recording it unexpectedly because it is so like, it's a freaking big deal, man. And you know, I've got kids. I think that's why I get emotional. I'm like these, they can be whatever the hell they want. Right. And it doesn't have to be about money or looks or anything for that matter. It's gotta be what they want and live that life, you know, but on the flip side, giving me goosebumps over here, man, it's exciting. (laughs) So that's the, that's the long-term vision. Very cool. And you could subscribe to the podcast. I am saltlake.com. We're here uh, every week, every Friday with a real estate minute. Today's been a little bit longer, but I've been loving every second of it. Hopefully we start doing more and more of these. Yeah. Bringing some different, uh, people, you know, in the lending world, real estate world, we've, we've chatted offline oh, about sure. this. So for sure. Anyway, um, yeah, we're in all the podcast apps. Make sure you're subscribed and uh, reach out to uh, TJ or Brock, I guess, if you if you have any you know lending needs and then reach out to me if you want to go check out some sweet houses in the valley here. So you guys have a great weekend. We'll awesome. See, see you on the next episode. See you guys. Adios.